0: Hello and welcome to the Hail Maryland podcast. I'm and Shunker, he's Jacob Steinberg. We're both podcasters for WMUC Sports, and we're here to preview Maryland's week two matchup against Minnesota. So, this is going to be a game on Friday night on ESPN, a homecoming game. It's a huge deal. And we're, you know, this is a, this is a pretty important game for
1: Maryland. Jacob, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Farun. I'm really excited for Friday. This will be the first game I have covered in person since March eighth. So I'm definitely excited to be back in a press box covering a live sport again. Can't wait.
0: Yeah, it should be great. Uh, Before we start, we love the support we've been getting from everyone. Please, if you haven't yet, rate, review, and share the podcast. If you leave a five-star review and add in a question you have, we will read the review on the air. So please review the podcast, and we'll shout you out and answer any questions you have. Uh, let's start with the injury
1: report. There was two injuries that Loxley talked about. Do you want to quickly go over them? Yeah, linebacker Darrell chami who tore his ACL last season, suffered a lower leg injury against Northwestern last Saturday. The team has not divulged exactly what the injury is, but they have said that he will be out this Friday against Minnesota. So that's a key loss for Maryland. He's one of their younger uh, linebackers. He's definitely one of their better pass rushers. So the Terps are definitely going to need a committee to make up for Inchami's loss.
0: Yeah, in addition, Ta'on Fleet Davis is... Is still he said tbd for this game just because of the off the field issue so those are the only two things that loxley specifically mentioned in terms of players who might be unavailable uh what else did he say during the availability we talked to him about like an hour and a half ago what did he say anything that really caught your eye because i've got a couple of things
1: yeah two big things that really caught my eye Where last week after the Northwestern loss, giving up 325 rushing yards. He talked about after the game, how gap control would be really important defensively. And I asked him if he's seen improvement in that area. And he talked about how he has, he said, it's been a heavy point of emphasis from defensive coordinator, John Hoke and the defensive line coach. It's been something that they've put a lot of time into this week. And that's definitely something that they're trying to improve for Friday's game. And the other thing that stood out to me was I asked Coach Loxley about Muhammad Ibrahim, Minnesota's starting running back. And he talked about how Ibrahim both has deceptive speed and he's also a really physical downhill runner. His pad level is excellent, Coach Loxley talked about. And he's a local kid, actually. I, I hadn't realized, but he went to Good Council High School in Maryland. So it's kind of a homecoming for him. He also went to high school with Maryland linebacker Ace Ealy the starting linebackers, so they know each other really well. So I'm really intrigued to see Muhammad Ibrahim this week against the Maryland defense and how they respond because if they're going to win this game, they're going to need to.
0: Yeah, for me, it was actually something that isn't going to be on the field. We saw it today with uh, Wisconsin, obviously uh so they had a bunch of positive tests and so their game against nebraska has been canceled so it's just going to be it's not a 450 there's just a no contest so i asked Loxley if that's changed anyway he's talked to his team about the pandemic and the way he talked about it was i mean they've been taking it seriously already and like he said his direct quote we're not out of the woods yet so they've been really diligent so this is such a weird season right we don't really know i mean one of the issues with the big 10 starting late was that they had eight weeks and there's no time to make anything else up. So if you have a game like what happened between Wisconsin and Nebraska, it's just not going to be played. So, I mean, it's it's a weird year, man. Like, I I don't know
1: how else to say it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It definitely is a weird year. And just, I want to go over the big Ten policy a little bit for our listeners that might not know. So the biggest thing is if a player or test positive on a team, they need to, they are not allowed to participate for a minimum of 21 days. And they also need to go a cardiac exam after, because there's been previous links in some college students to uh myocardiopathy, which is a cardiac issue related to coronavirus so they're trying to ensure the safety of the collegiate athletes but as Varun said Wisconsin had a little bit of a breakout and when that happens the team needs to isolate and stop practices for a minimum of a week so that is what Wisconsin is currently doing right now as and that's why their game as Varun said is canceled for this Saturday.
0: Yeah one thing you know we've seen the the links between the heart issues and COVID seem to be a little bit less serious than before, but it's still obviously we've seen in so many different sports, the issues that can come with, you know, these elite athletes, even if, you know, it's not simply a case of recovering or dying. It's really a case of, even if you recover, there can be some long term effects. And we saw Eduardo Rodriguez on the Red Sox. He got COVID and due to the heart issues that followed for like six months, he wasn't able to go on a trend, right? So there are long term effects that come with this that really need to be weighed. So, I mean, obviously, first things first, everyone's got to stay safe. I did find it interesting that the requirements for a game to be canceled for the Big Ten, the automatic cancellation is that you need to have a COVID-19 positivity rate on the team of at least 5% and a population in the neighboring area positive rate of 7.5%. Now, that did not happen for the Wisconsin-Nebraska game, but I think basically what they said is if officials inside the school deem it find that the situations mean that there shouldn't be a game then the game will be canceled and it looks like it's going to be a no contest instead of a forfeit which I found interesting obviously Nebraska fans aren't too happy about that
1: yeah definitely well not only did a lot of Wisconsin players get infected but also their head coach Paul Christ did as well and we saw last week Purdue head coach Jeff Brom had contracted coronavirus luckily he's recovered now but he wasn't even able to cut to coach for the team from home. So not only was the Wisconsin program impacted by the players getting it, with their head coach as well. And I know that that greater Madison area in Wisconsin, that neighborhood is being particularly hit hard by COVID right now. So I'm, it's really unfortunate, but I can't say I'm really shocked considering what's going on outside of the university of Wisconsin campus right now.
0: All right. So we're going to make a quick heel turn now, obviously, obviously COVID is much bigger than football, but we're going to try focusing on the game now. It's a big game for Maryland, right? They're 0-1 after a really demoralizing loss. They lost by 40 points. Northwestern, a team that many thought they were going to be able to hang with. And now they're going up against a team last year that went 11-2 and and was one of the biggest surprise and pleasant surprises of the Big Ten. How big of a game is this for the Terps?
1: Yeah, it's a monumental game, as you said. Not only is it, Not only are they 0-1, but it's also their home opener. I know there isn't going to be fans there, but I'm sure the Terps are still going to be amped up and excited. It's a big game for Minnesota as well. They just came off a 49-24 loss against Michigan at home. I'm sure they're playing pissed off. I'm sure Maryland's going to come out pissed off after the way they played last week. So I'm really excited to see how this matchup plays out, and if Maryland isn't able to win this game, or Minnesota, which either whichever team loses, starting the season in an 0-2 hole in an eight-game regular season is definitely a tough road to come back from.
0: Yeah, uh, I just think. All right, you know what? We'll get to the conversation. I was gonna, I was gonna say we'll get to it in one of our. Let's we'll get it. To, it's gonna be in one of the keys of the game. So let's start with that, Jacob. What's your first key for Maryland winning this game?
1: My first key for Maryland winning this game is very simple. Win the turnover battle. As you, as we talked about in the last episode and you touched on particularly, Maryland's turnover differential last game against Northwestern was minus four. If they want to have any shot of winning this game, they need to have a positive turnover differential. They need to be able to force turnovers, but they also need to protect the ball as well. Coach Loxley talked about all week how they need to get more pressure on the quarterback, and that's definitely going to be a big emphasis for them. And one of the best ways to get turnovers is to put – Uh, pressure on the quarterback and for Maryland offensively Talia just needs to learn to not force the ball downfield take what the defense gives him and if Talia and the defense can do that I think Maryland has a shot in this one
0: yeah I mean if you look last week Minnesota they had two turnovers against I mean their quarterback alone had two turnovers against Michigan so we there, there is a formula to beating this team and obviously Michigan is Really, really talented, obviously, but uh they won the turnover battle 2-0, right? And so that's going to be big for the trips. My first key is they've got to give Talia easy plays, Talia easy plays, and make him a game manager so they can focus on the running game and take the ball out of the hands of this Minnesota offense. Listen, I'm as big a proponent of throwing the ball as ever, but unless Talia really rebounds after... A Really shaky and just bad Northwestern game. There are you have to make sure that he's just managing the game and keeping the offense on schedule. He can't turn the ball over. You can't have turnovers or killers, right? Giving Talia the RPOs, those easy gains, play action, make his life easy. And if you can make Johnny Jordan deal with all protection issues, so you make this guy's job as easy as possible. So the question I wanted to ask was: Let's say Talia has a game not as bad as what we saw. Uh, against Northwestern, but he doesn't have a good game, right? He throws a pick, and it, the offense just doesn't get on track. At what point in the season do you think we start hearing uh, Coach Loxley or see Loxley turn to the back of quarterback Lance
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. Unfortunately, it's kind of a hard question to answer right now because we don't know how Talia is going to bounce back. The biggest thing for me is Coach Loxley has talked about all week how he wants his players to be accountable and he knows that Talia can play better and he expects him to play better. So I'm what we qualify as Talia having a bad game. Coach Loxley might not qualify the same thing. So for me, the biggest thing is I don't think even if Talia struggles this week, again, neither Varun or I is saying he's going to, but if he does struggle, I still don't think that they're going to pull him because Coach Loxley has emphasized throughout the offseason, throughout ever since he named Talia the starter, that they are committed to him. The starter has a long leash, that Talia is a student of the game, that when he makes a mistake, he learns from it and does not make the same mistake again. Wow, that's all nice to say if it doesn't happen in actuality and talia continues to make mistakes it's definitely going to be something that coach laxley and his staff are going to have to consider but i would i would say fairly confidently at least in my opinion that if he does struggle in the next game he will still be the starter week three at penn state
0: i don't think it's going to happen against minnesota i don't think it's going to happen against penn state i think if you see
1: it happen it's going to be against michigan state
0: and longer uh what's your second key to this game
1: my second key to this game is something I talked a little bit about earlier, uh, earlier. Stop the run. As I mentioned, Muhammad Ibrahim, Minnesota's running back, is one of the best in the Big Ten. He's a physical runner. He has deceptive speed, as Coach Loxley said. And Minnesota has one of the best offensive lines in the conference. They want to run the ball. They want to run the ball down your throat, and they're not shy about it. Head coach P.J. Fleck it prides himself on being able to run the ball successfully. Despite Minnesota's 24 points last week and, generally not too much success offensively. They were able to run the ball really well. Muhammad Ibrahim did run the ball really well. That's kind of what happened. Once the game got out of hand, they had to throw more. And Minnesota does have really talented weapons as well. Quarterback Tanner Morgan, wide receiver Rashad Bateman. But I think if Maryland has any shot of winning this game, they're they going to need to, excuse me, limit the success of Muhammad Ibrahim and not let him beat them.
0: Yeah, mine is kind of similar, my second key. Take away their playmakers. That's two guys really Rashad Bateman and Muhammad Ibrahim. If you can get to them and really, you're never going to take them out of the game. Right. But this is something that in the pros you see a lot with Bill Belichick, what does he do when he's designing a defense against one of the best options? He looks at, okay, who's their number one guy. How do we take him away? How do we, you do whatever you need to do that. Right. If you need like Loxy said it today, they're probably going to need to bring a safety over on any side Bateman's on. You have to do that. He's that good of a player you have to make sure that he doesn't beat you. If he goes off for 150 yards, I mean, that's it. You cannot allow that to happen because Tanner Morgan, he's a great quarterback. He's also struggled last week. If you make him get to a second and third weed, you blitz him, make secondary players beat you. Don't let their stars beat you. If Listen, if their third wide receiver catches 10 passes for 200 yards and you lose – so be it. They got, they were better than you. They beat you. But if Bateman beats you, you can't let that happen. You have to at least do everything in your power to limit him. Uh, We're, all, we're doing something new this week. We're going to go through each team's X factor for this
1: game. So Jacob, what's Minnesota's X factor? My X factor stems off of what we were just talking about. It's the guy they want to revolve their offense around. And I'm going to beat it. I'm going to beat this dead horse throughout the episode. It's Muhammad Ibrahim. I think that as far as he goes, Minnesota goes. If Muhammad Ibrahim has a really strong game and, Minnesota is able to dictate the tempo and pace of this game, running the ball and controlling the clock. I think that's going to go a long way in them winning this one. And conversely, I think if Maryland's defense is able to stand up and force, as Varun was saying, Tanner Morgan to make some plays, he showed the propensity to turn the ball over last game. And I think that plays into Maryland's hands. So for me, if Maryland can stop the run, and obviously, they're not going to be able to completely shut down Mohamed Ibrahim. He's an extremely talented player. I'm by no means saying that. But if they can at least contain him and keep him in check, it's going to go in long, a long way, excuse me, in Maryland competing in this one. You, you,
0: I'm guessing everyone's seen it. You saw that play of Tanner Morgan just getting absolutely crunched by the Michigan player, right?
1: Yes, I have. Right off the edge.
0: Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that I'd love to see Maryland's defense do. Bring a guy on a corner blitz because it looked like Michigan was able to exploit the Minnesota defense in doing that. I think that's something that Maryland can't let Morgan just sit back there and have all day. But my X factor doesn't come from Minnesota's defense. It doesn't come from Minnesota's offense. It's going to be their special teams. Last week and even this week, we don't know yet, they're missing their starting kicker, their starting punter, and they're starting kickoff specialist. How does that affect the field position battle for Maryland in this game? How does that affect field goal kicking? How does that affect kickoffs in general? right? We saw a big return. We saw a big return from Michigan because of a squibbed kickoff. Can Maryland get a big play in that? Can they maybe force some turnovers in the kicking game? These are all really big things that we don't know about this Minnesota team yet. And in a, in a game where Maryland's going to be an underdog... I think this is a situation where they can really exploit that advantage.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Obviously, you and I know well as big football fans, but there are three phases of the game. There's offense, there's defense. And you cannot forget about special teams. I mean, look at the NFL last week, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tennessee Titans. The Titans drive down. They have a chance to tie the game and go into overtime. And their kicker, Steven Gostowski, misses a field goal and the game's over. We see it happen all the time in football, especially in college, where kickers struggle more notoriously than the NFL. It's definitely something to look out for. And if Maryland's defense is able to come up with some red zone stands and they force Minnesota to kick field goals instead of scoring touchdowns, excuse me, that's going to be a key area. And if they can do that as Varun referenced with their struggles on special teams, it'll go a long way in helping Maryland compete and potentially win this game.
0: What's Maryland's X factor for this game?
1: My my X factor for Maryland, I'm going to go with another player. I'm going to say Ace Ely, the linebacker. Ace is the tone setter along with Chance Campbell for this defense. As I referenced earlier in the episode, he played in high school with Muhammad Ibrahim. He knows him well he's, I think he's going to be able to maybe tell some of the other Maryland defensive players, some of his tendencies, what he likes to do. And I think that ACLE, along with Chance Campbell, Maryland's two defensive leaders, and their two best players on defense, in my opinion, are going to be key for them. They're going to have to set the tone of defensively. They're going to come, have to come out early. They're going to have to hit hard. They're going to have to be physical. They're going to have to ensure that a lot of the younger players on this defense are doing their job and communicating to them because linebacker is the quarterback of the defense. While Ace isn't necessarily the quarterback, it's normally a Chance Campbell. The two of them are gonna be working hand in hand to get communication to the young guys across all three levels of the defense. And if Maryland's defense wants to have a chance of containing this high-octane Minnesota offense, ACLA is going to play a key part.
0: Yeah, even more simply, they just got to tackle really well, right? They didn't tackle that well against Northwestern. So those two guys being able to tackle really efficiently against Ibrahim, who, listen, when you look back and watch that Michigan game, he was electric. Every time he got the ball, it looked like he was a threat to take it all the way. Speaking of taking it all the way... My X factor is going to be Jay Sean Jones. We saw last week he made a couple of nice catches, but he wasn't a big play threat. And, you know, it's obviously just one game and the offense as a whole wasn't great. Like I said, Maryland's going to come into this game as an underdog. What can he do in limited touches and just break one? If he just breaks one, then it's momentum. It's points on the board. And the pressure is all on Minnesota, right? The pressure is on Minnesota because they're favored. You just want to do everything you can to make them a little bit more nervous. And if Jason Jones can bust a big play, that could be something that's really effective. What's your under the radar UMD player that could be more impactful in this game than other people imagine?
1: My under the radar player, I'm sticking on the defensive side of the ball because I think that's where Maryland is going to have to win this game. Obviously they're going to have to score points, but I think if Maryland can limit Minnesota's off, uh success offensively i think it's going to go a long way and my choice is cornerback Tarheeb still the true freshman he had four tackles last week against northwestern i think he's six foot one i think even though he's young he's arguably their best cover corner and i think he's going to be matched up a lot with rashad bateman who has run references a really talented receiver and one of the biggest playmakers for the golden gophers i think we're going to see still play a really key role in this game. And I think we're going to see him play a really key role moving forward. And I think alongside Nick cross, he's going to develop into one of the leaders of the secondary, despite only being a freshman.
0: Yeah. For me, I think it's going to be Penny Boone. I don't exactly know why yet, but I think Maryland's gonna have to run the ball to win this game. And I I like Jake Funk a lot, but I think Penny Boone is a short yardage, especially like just like a pure power back guy. I mean, he's huge. That dude is massive and he looked pretty effective running the ball against Northwestern. So I think he's a guy who could just eke out some yards and the tough yards that you need to win football games. All right, now let's give our game predictions. We're going to give our score predictions and then we're going to do some over/unders, a gimmick that we uh took from the Washington Football Talk podcast which both of us listen to, which is funny. But uh let's start with our uh, game and
1: score predictions. Jacob, what do you got? Well, just to start, I can't be much more off than I was last week, so there is <laughs> It's only up from here. There's hope. I, I, in case anyone forgot, my score prediction for Maryland last week was they would win 31 27. So I was clearly a mile off. But for this game, I'm going to say the Golden Gophers win 34 to 24, which does mean that Maryland covers because they are 19 and a half point underdogs. So you could take some solace in that if you're betting on the game. But I think Maryland's going to be able to keep it close for most of the game. I think that they're going to play energized in the fact that it is their first home game, even though there's no fans. But ultimately, I think that Minnesota's offense has too much firepower for them to keep up with. And I think that they're going to pull away in the fourth quarter.
0: You're a little bit more optimistic than me, even though I was wrong last week too. I said it was going to be 28-27, I think. I've got 42-21 Minnesota. I don't think the Terps cover. I just think there's a talent difference here that – we're going to see throughout, like at the end of the year when we look at their records it's good like we the northwestern game really made me reevaluate what i thought about this team and unless talia has just um, like an exponentially better game than he did against northwestern 42 21 might be too kind to the turps let's do our over unders now all right let's start with the guy i just talked about the quarterback talia touchdowns over
1: under what do you oh we have 1.5 what do you got I'm going to go under on the 1.5. I do think Talia is going to have a touchdown. I think he's only going to have one though. I think like you said, I think if Maryland's going to win this game, they're going to need to be more reliant on their rushing attack, which goes into the next over-under that we have. But I'll let Varun pick his choice for that first.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go under as well. I'm keeping track of these on a notepad so we can look back on them later and you know just kind of keep, uh, keep track of who's doing better. But I'm going to go under as well because I think they're going to be running the ball a lot. I think they're going to take the ball out of his hands. And I think Minnesota's defense is kind of, it's not good, but I don't think it's bad either. And I think we saw last week that this is an offense that might struggle a little bit early in the year and maybe even beyond. So until Talia shows it to me that he's better than what we saw against Northwestern, I obviously don't think he's going to play as badly as that. I think that's about as bad as a quarterback can play, but going for two touchdowns or throwing for one and running string for another I've got to see it before I say that he's going to go over that. Then we've got Maryland combined rushing yards, 120.5. So this is everyone on the team from quarterback, receiver, running back.
1: I'm going to take the over in this one. Maryland had 86 rushing yards against Northwestern last week. I agree with you. I think Penny Boone showed some signs of optimism late. Jake Funk had some nice early runs. And I do think collectively, if you asked me, Jake Funk or Penny Boone, 100 rushing yards on their own, I definitely would not... Say yes, but the fact that it's the team, I think Talia might use his legs a little more this week if he's given that room. Considering Coach Laxley talked about he needs to take what the defense gives him, so I I would not be surprised if Maryland finishes with around 150 rushing yards combined this week. So I'm going to take the over.
0: Can I agree with you? I think they're actually going to get some yards on this defense, especially after last week when Minnesota gave up 265 to Michigan. But I think they're going to have to like I think they're going to be behind, and so I think that's going to take them out of their game plan to run. And so because of that, I'm going to go under. So we're going to split here. I'm going to go under. You're going to go over. Let's move on to the next one. You got UMD Team Sacks, and we got the number at 1.5.
1: I'm going to say under, but if Maryland wants to win this game, they need this number to be over. They need to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback because as we've talked about throughout this episode, getting pressure on the quarterback is a great way to cause turnovers. Maryland did not have any sacks last week against Northwestern and they lost one of their better edge rushers in Darrell and Chami. So I really don't have much faith in that defensive line group. I'm going to take the under, but like I said, if you're a Maryland fan, you better hope that this is over this game
0: see I'm going to go over here which is weird because I've been kind of I've been going under all the way so far. I think it's going to be over just because Minnesota is missing two o-line and they're missing the right side of their offensive line right now. We don't know if they're going to play yet, but if even one of them is out, I think Maryland's going to come with a lot of blitzes in this game. I think they're going to be really aggressive out of the gate and I think Tanner Morgan really struggled against Michigan in terms of pocket awareness. So that's something where I think Maryland could really exploit that, and you only need two sacks with this, right? If he slips and falls, that's one right there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pray that he they go over. But this is this is kind of a this is this is under the assumption, hopefully, that they blitz a lot because I don't think you could sit back and let Morgan cook you up. I think you've got to I think you've got to uh, send the pressure after him and make him really uncomfortable back there. Uh, we've got Rashad Bateman receiving yards seventy point five, Man, this 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 number is low. Should we increase it a bit? It feels low.
1: I would. I was gonna say I feel like I was gonna say I feel like it might honestly be a little high because if oh. the game flow goes like we said and, and and Minnesota gets up early, they might need to not throw the ball as much. That being said, I'm still gonna take the over in this just because of Bateman's sheer size and just how athletic and what a physical receiver he is. I mean, we saw him paired with Tyler Johnson, who's now in the Tampa Bay Bucks last year, and both of them were for now pair together, and I think that he's gonna continue. Doing that, and that being said, even if uh, Bateman does get over 70 yards, I don't necessarily think that that's, like, the worst thing for Maryland because he is such a talented playmaker that he is going to get his no matter how much uh, strong defense Maryland plays against him. So I'm going to take the over in this, but it wouldn't shock me, honestly, if he goes under considering, like we said, Minnesota might establish an early lead and then just be able to run away with it.
0: I am smashing the over on this one. I don't think it's going to be close. I mean, Bateman is so Good. You watch him. He's so smooth in the way he gets in and out of his routes. That play he made against Michigan on the deep ball, where he just pushed the corner to the side. I mean, that's, inc- that's that was so good. He's he's dynamic. He's gonna break a big gain, and he's gonna be a consistent playmaker that Maryland has to account for. So unless unless they're triple teaming him, I don't see any way that he doesn't go over in this uh, last one here. Oh no, sorry, second to last one, Muhammad Ibrahim. You rushing yards, one hundred point five.
1: This is this is for me the the mortal lock of all of these. Give me the over. <laughs> Just, in, uh, I'm going to go with the rationale that you used. Until Maryland's defense can show me that they've improved with their gap control, I'm I'm, I'm not really going to have much faith in them stopping the run. Granted, if Mohamed Ibrahim still rushes for a little bit over 100 yards, and generally Maryland's defense does a strong job of not allowing him to make big plays, that's a huge win after their struggles defensively last week. But I still think Ibrahim gets his. He's such a talented runner. He's physical. He's smart. He's experienced. I'm going to take
0: the over him. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. I think he had 140 against Michigan, and they were down for a lot of that game. So in a situation where he's just going to be able to eat into this defense as they're trying to run out clock, I think he's going to go over easily. And the last one we're going to go, I think every week we're going to go with just kind of five pretty serious ones. Then we'll go one kind of just fun one. Shots of Mike Loxley on the sideline looking just absolutely exasperated. Uh, We've got the number set at 2.5. Listen, it was i was we were both watching the game on tv so i'm gonna i'm gonna be the one judging this i'll go off the tv copy um he was just they would cut to him after every single talia interception they would cut to him and he would like you, he's wearing a mask so you can't see his expression but he was giving like the eyes like are you kidding me man like really it would like it was sad to see but it was also kind of funny to see i can't lie so i'm gonna go over there what
1: are you saying yeah. You're going to have to keep me updated because I'm going to be in the press box. So I'm not going to be able to tell. So I'll be texting you throughout the game. You got to let me know <laughs> if they show some of those shots on the television, but I'm going to go contrarian here because I want to be a little different in our picks. I'm going to say under, I'm going to say that there's only two. I'm, I'm going to take the underside of it. I think that there will be a couple shots of Loxley looking frustrated, whether it's after a, a Minnesota big play or after a Maryland turnover, but. I would be shocked if this is under two and a half, but to be contrarian, I'm just going to go with it. And I'm going to say there's only two shots of them looking exasperated.
0: All right. Sounds good. So this is going to be a weekly segment. Now we'll recap all of this after the game. So the game's on Friday, I think 730 on ESPN. It's a homecoming game. It's going to be, I think it'll be a pretty fun game. Even if I think there'll be more points scored for Maryland than three at the very least. Uh, We'll be back this weekend at some time. We might bring on a guest hopefully. Until then, uh, I talked to Megan Ryan, who's Minnesota football beat reporter for the Minnesota Star Tribune, about the Gophers. We talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about uh, what happened against Michigan, what went wrong, Tanner Morgan. And then we talked a lot about what this team went through in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement in uh, Minnesota, because this was a team in Minnesota that was really affected by it since it happened very close to their stadium and very close to their very close to them in general and then uh, we also talked a little bit about a big story she wrote on Rashad Bateman that was really interesting so it's a great it's a great talk and then uh obviously if you haven't yet please rate review share and subscribe to this spot. like I said before if you leave a five-star review add in your question we will read the review on the air so please do so and we'll answer any questions you have but uh until then here's my uh behind enemy lines with Megan Ryan <laughs> To talk to me about the Minnesota Gophers, I'm joined now by Megan Ryan, Minnesota football beat reporter for the Minnesota Star Tribune. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. You know, I want to start by talking about M- Minnesota just as a whole, because this was a team that had a breakout season last year under P.J. Fleck, and they came into this year with a lot of expectations. Big opening game against Michigan, and they got crushed.
2: What happened? What went wrong? You know, that's a good question. Um, I might be easier to list the things that went right because there was a lot of things that went wrong and there wasn't a lot of things that were good. Um, You know, I think what it's hard, like last season, if I look back at the Gophers, um, it took them like they're all three of their non-conference games they looked not great and they were able to kind of eke out wins at the end but there was a lot of lessons learned in that so that when they started the big 10 season is when you really saw them take off so if if there's anything really that I've learned about this team is that they they kind of need a couple games to ramp up and in a normal year that might not be a problem when you're you know playing non-conference fcs or whatever opponents but uh, in, a, in a year like this, where it's a nine-week, nine-game sprint, and you're starting right off with a team like Michigan, uh, there's just not a lot of margin for error. And unfortunately, the Gophers needed some of that. Um, not only just from a, a comfortable standpoint of, you know, getting back into the groove of a game, but, you know, they were missing a bunch of people, whether it was from injuries or, you know, presumably COVID. They're not really saying that's what it is, but, you know, they were missing their kicker and their punter which their special teams unit is not good to begin with like that they've it's been not good for a while um and then they're missing those two numbered number one people um yeah well actually they're missing their kicker their punter and their kickoff guy. so they're missing all of their their starters there um which is a problem so that really put the defense in a tough spot not having those guys and then the defense uh was missing one guy one main linebacker from injury so then they have Uh, a a true freshman starting at linebacker, but also they just had a, a, in general, a lot of new starters, a lot of young players. Um, So that was hard. You saw a lot of miscommunications on that side of the ball, um, not quite being in the right position and them trying to scramble at the line of scrimmage to figure it out. And um, on the offense, I think the toughest part was the offensive line. They were missing their whole right side of that with Daniel Faleli and Curtis Dunlap Jr. out. Um, and then you saw the product of that, which is that Tanner Morgan got sacked five times and, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of time for him to make decisions because he had, you know, people blitzing him all the time. So yeah, it, it it was a rough game for sure. And I think, you know, for the first three minutes, they looked pretty good when they had the (laughs) stop and then they blocked the punt and then they scored. Uh, but after that, it kind of, the wheels fell off and it got really out of hand towards the end. So yeah, it'll be interesting this game for sure, because they've only got, you know, one less day to to prepare uh, for Maryland than they usually would. So it'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, they talk about complimentary football all the time, how the offense is helped the defense, the defense he's helped the special teams and everything goes. Yeah, this game, everyone just failed each other. So that's how you get to, you know, the defense, especially they gave up 256 rushing yards, three touchdowns. Was that a scheme thing? Was that more the players were out of position? Was that just Michigan's really good this year?
2: Um, You know, I think maybe a little combination of everything. I mean, I wasn't expecting Michigan to be offensively as good as they were because they had, you know, Joe Milton as a new starter. And he was a little bit unproven, though. I think I think he did very well. Um, And, you know, they're they're didn't have a lot of returning receivers. And so there's a lot of things that I just kind of thought, oh, you know, I, I think that the Minnesota defense will be okay against that. But they were a lot better than expected, I think was part of it. Um, the other part of it is is just how how young and inexperienced that the Gophers defense is. Like if you look at the defense they had last year, there was four guys that got drafted, Carter Coughlin, Chris Williamson, Kamal Martin, and Antoine Winfield Jr., obviously. So when you have all of those Guys, not only were they big performers on the field and and did a lot of important big plays like the sacks and the fumble recoveries and the interceptions, but they also were really big leaders because they were older senior guys. Um, And now you're asking a bunch of people to not only step up performance wise on the field and take over a starting role, but you're also asking somebody to step up and be a leader when you only have like three senior starters, I think, on defense. If you count Benjamin St. Juice, who's technically like a junior, but he's like been in school forever. So um, it's, I think it was hard and they were trying to still figuring that out because your young guys, I think it was just like, I feel really for, for Cody Lindenberg, who was the true freshman starting at linebacker. It's not easy to start as a true freshman to begin with, but especially in a season like this and against Michigan right away. Um, and then they have their, you know, one of the safeties that came in place of Antoine Winfield junior, Tyler Newbin, he was a freshman last year and he was the only freshman that burned his red shirt. And he did get time on special teams and a couple of defensive rotations and stuff, but obviously not the same as, as playing a whole game basically. And he, he, it was hard for him and I could tell. Um, so I think it was a combination of the young guys just being young and then the older guys, not white. Stepping into that role yet of the leadership part, because you really need some some kind of drill sergeants on that side of the ball to say, you go here, you go here. This is what's happening. And they had four of those guys last year and they were all friends. So they communicated very well. And this year it's a little bit more disjointed. So, um, again, I think the only thing that fixes that is time, which unfortunately this season there's not a lot of.
0: So, if you're Maryland's coach, right, and you're looking at this Minnesota team, and you you have obviously been around this team a lot, you where would you attack them? How would you exploit them, either offensively or defensively?
2: Um, how would I exploit the Gophers? Well, I mean, it, the good thing is, is there's a lot of film to study from Michigan that shows exactly like a good way to do that, right? Um, I think. If you're defensive wise, if you're looking at the Gophers offense and how do you stop them? I mean, Rashad Bateman is is obviously the big the big player. He's a great receiver. Um, and Tanner Morgan, when he, when he's on and has time and space and can connect with Bateman, they are very dangerous. But I think that Michigan did a really good job of not giving Tanner a lot of time to. Uh, to, to make those plays. And then I think Tanner also just his pocket movement wasn't as good as it it was towards the end of last year. So that was also a problem, but, um, and then obviously their offensive line is weak. So if you've got a really stout defensive line and you can put pressure on that offensive line, it, 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 it might fold a little bit easier than, than you would normally expect from them. So I think it's that you got to cut off the pass game, force them to run. Um, and then when you force them to run, just make sure that your defensive line can take take over that offensive line um, and make it really hard for for them to get any blocks or any holes or whatnot. So um, I guess that, that would be my strategy there is just like really try not to let Rashad Bateman get a chance, which Michigan did a decent job of that. And then from a, how would your offense take advantage of their defense? I think maybe it's a little bit of the opposite. I would like the cornerback unit for the, for the Gophers, uh, hypothetically, should be their their strongest returning unit because that's where they've got, you know, Benjamin St. Just and Coney Durr, which are these two older guys that were big starters last year. And, like, it's kind of the only position that returned, like, you know, the two main guys. Or, like, the defensive line, there's only one returner. Linebacker, there was no returning starters. And safety, there was one in Jordan Howden. But so the cornerback is supposed to be the best unit. Um, I'm not sure they fully displayed that last year or last game. But um, I, I feel like there's, you know, there's maybe a better chance if you, if you try not to involve those guys as much, if you try to run the ball a little bit more, because it seemed like, you know, the defense wasn't really keying in on that kind of stuff. I think my favorite play from the Michigan game was, it was right, it was like right after that three minute start of the game where they got the defensive stop, the Blocked the punt. The gopher scored. It was like, oh great, oh my god, it's just like they picked up from where they left off last season. And then the very next series, it was like the Red Sea parted with Moses, and then the Michigan <laughs> guy went right through the middle with this giant hole and right to the end zone. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like how do you, that is a how do you give some guy like it literally was like it just a pathway parted for him. Like the Gophers defense just like scattered. So if you can kind of re, like replicate a play like that. Um, you know, that could make you pretty successful against this team, I think.
0: I want to talk about Tanner Morgan because last year, I mean, he had maybe the best season by a quarterback in Minnesota football history. He had 30 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He comes back this year. And like you said, his performance was not great. 18 for 31, 197 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And then like everyone saw, he got clobbered by the Michigan defender with the ball coming right out of his hands into another scoop and score, easy touchdown. He gets sacked five times on the day. Was that really the offensive line's fault or was that really on him in terms of pocket movement?
2: Well, if you asked Tanner, he would say it's all his fault. He's, he's, he's a big martyr. God bless him. He's a, he's a great kid. And I think he tries really hard to take responsibility for this team because he, he considers it, you know, he's the quarterback. It starts with him. It's his team. He needs to be the leader and take the responsibility. So that's what he said yesterday when we talked to him was, Oh, it's, you know, I gotta, I gotta do better and all this stuff. And then, when you ask him about like, you know, how was the O-line or how was the ground game? He's like, oh, it was great. They were great. because um, Which, I mean, fair enough. I think that's really right. nice him to do. And I I do think that it was a little bit of a combination. Like there were certain sacks I think you could look at. And then he did this a couple of times last year, too, where it, it was apparent that if he had just had a little bit of more vision or if he hadn't panicked or if he'd have a little bit better movement, he would have been able to, to escape that and not walk right into the sack. So I think that that's still a thing that he's learning, but definitely, you know, there were some things that his O-line just, it was, it was, it made it really hard uh, on him because he just didn't have really, and I know like, you know, there's arguments on both sides. Some people say the quarterback needs to be able to make those split second decisions, but it's really hard when you snap the ball. And then immediately someone's on top of you. Like it just doesn't give you a lot of uh, a chance to do things. So um, I, I think it was a combination of the, of both, but. The thing with Tanner that I think has always uh, impressed me about him is that just when you count him out, he he kind of surprises you. Because um, I wasn't convinced when they when he had to be the starter last year because Anikstead got hurt, Zach Anikstead got hurt in training camp. I was like, oh, it's just, this guy is not proven and he's the second choice and I'm not convinced he's got as good of an arm as Anikstead. But then he obviously, you know, proved everyone wrong and was really good last year. And so I think if you try to judge him off one game, you will be mistaken because he does have a tendency to kind of uh, exceed expectations in that way. So um, we'll see what he does against Maryland.
0: You know, Maryland last week, they just really couldn't do much of anything against Northwestern, right? But there were some players that... I remember looking and being like bleak Washington's catching pass- passes, and so my question is, what could be like the sneaky ex-player that after the game Maryland's looking at and saying, "Damn, we let so and so beat us
2: on the Gophers." Like who's the? Yeah. Yep. Who could be a sneaky player. Man, good question. Um, you know, I think if you're talking about like, you know, offensive wise, or like who are some guys that that maybe. Could be more impact players uh than you would expect. I mean, I think for receivers, everybody looks at Chris Ottman Bell or looks at Rashad Bateman to say, like, well, he's the big star. But Chris Ottman Bell is an interesting guy in that he was kind of the number three receiver last year behind Rashad and Tyler Johnson. And obviously those two took, you know, most of the attention, and then it would kind of be. One they one team would double team Tyler and then Rashad would have the big game. And then the next team would double team Rashad and then Tyler would have the big game. And then Chris kind of was in the background lurking. And then he'd every now and then come up with a big play. Uh, you know, when people weren't expecting it. Like I think the big one was against Fresno State last year. He had the overtime forcing touchdown uh at like the last second. So I think that he's a guy that again, you didn't I think he caught one pretty big pass from from Tanner against Michigan, if I remember correctly, but, you know, wasn't, he wasn't really, it wasn't as big of a factor maybe as we were expecting. And so I think that he's a guy that still is maybe a little bit overlooked, especially compared to Rashad. There's a couple other of those receivers, like those young guys, they were playing some true freshmen like Daniel Jackson um, in that third receiver spot too. And those are, you know, people that we don't know a lot about, but I know the coaching staff has been pretty high on. Um, So those are kind of interesting choices too. And I mean, I don't know. I, Mo Ibrahim's not a, he's not a secret by any means. He's their number one back, but I think, you know, of anyone, I thought that he did decently last game against Michigan um, because he just runs so hard. And that's what I always have admired about Mo. Like he is, it's so funny. You look at him compared to, you know, Tanner Morgan's not a tall guy, but like you look at him compared to Tanner and the O-line and stuff. And he just looks like this little like nugget. (laughs) he's so strong like and he he gets extra yardage after you know after contact on the regular um and so I'm I've always been impressed with with what he is able to do given you know maybe not having the best hole from the offensive line or you know whatever like I think he is able to turn a lot of nothing into a little bit more of a something so uh, I'm kind of excited to see how he progresses this season
0: all right before I want to talk about some more like serious and bigger things surrounding this uh this minnesota team not necessarily related to football before that what's your prediction for how this game goes could this be a trap game for minnesota because you know
2: Good <laughs> um yeah, i don't i don't think it's going to be a trap game but it could be who's truly, really, who's to say I, I think that was
0: that's why it's okay. a trap game <laughs>
2: I know everybody's asked me, you know, my predictions and stuff, and I'm just like, nothing surprises me anymore because this year has been so chaotic and random and, like, horrible on a lot of levels that, like, Rutgers could win the Big Ten, and I'd be like, seems right. Um, So I don't know. Uh, And I kind of think, in general, predictions are just like a shout into the void, just like a a useless, just trying to figure out an unforeseeable future. But I I do think that the Gophers are going to win this game, Um, I do think it's kind of exciting that both these teams are coming off of some pretty bad losses. Right. And so there's a little bit of a redemption factor there for both. I think there's maybe a little bit of an unknown with the Gophers being that, uh, you know, they, this is their first road game in the COVID era. Right. So playing opponent stadium that they're not familiar with. And and, well, I guess they've they've actually played Maryland and Paramount, but um, you know, maybe they're not as familiar with and there's no fans and, you know, Is it going to be weirder traveling when, you know, there's not anybody, you know, there's nobody in the hotel or who knows, like all those things are kind of interesting. So, uh, I think I, there are some leveling of the playing field, but I kind of expect that the Gophers will probably be, be ready to, to get the embarrassment of Michigan behind them. So this is kind of a good opportunity as any to make that happen.
0: I want to quickly switch to talking about some more serious issues. Obviously, being in Minnesota, these players were extremely close to what happened in the summer with George Floyd's death and the protests and civil unrest that followed. It seems like it really has been something that's deeply affected these players and the coach, uh, P.J. Fleck. And as someone who covers them, how do you see its impact on the team and how they've handled and what they've been trying to do?
2: Well, I think it affected it affected the team a lot, um, just like it kind of affected everybody in the nation um, a lot. It was... It was such an interesting time just to like be like I'm from Minnesota and obviously I live in Minneapolis and a lot of these guys were here at the same time too. And so it was just so surreal to see something so horrible like that happen here, you know, in a place that we all know so well. And then to see like, not only the ramifications it had on this city, but, but nationwide and that it's still having. Um, And I think for, for the gophers, I mean, I talked to, a couple of players about a week after um, George Floyd was killed. And I think it was Seth Green, uh, Brevin Ford, and Rashad Bateman. Because um, they had all been pretty vocal on social media about, you know, what had happened and their own personal experiences with racism and, um, you know, things that they were trying to do to help. And they had a couple of them had gone to the protests, the several of the protests that had happened around, or they'd gone to the you know memorial for George Floyd. Um, So I talked to them about it and then, um, you know, they had shared some things. And then I think as the summer has gone on, it's just been slowly seeing what else they can do, because I think that they've fully commanded their voice, right? They're not afraid to speak out, whether it be on social media or, or in talking to me, the media or whatnot. Like, I think that they now realize that there's, they have a platform and they can use it and they can say something that helps, you know, a cause that they're passionate about. But now I think it's about implementing that into action, and that's been a little bit harder because of, you know, the COVID era, and there's just a lot of kind of hurdles there. But a couple of things they've done is I know Rashad, obviously, he's the big, uh, you know, agent zero is his thing. He changed his number to zero to, to symbolize zero tolerance for racism, and then I think that that's kind of picked up across a couple of other college football players, and I think even a high school in uh, in Minnesota kind of said they were going to do the same thing or wear at least decals on their helmet that supported that cause. So that's something that he's doing, which is big because he's one of the biggest names in college football this year. They started a program called here, which is helping end racism through education. Uh, and it's a program that a couple of the players on the team, the Seth greens, the Rashads, the Coney Durs, um, they helped kind of create this program with PJ Fleck, which is like basically amounts to a once-a-week or once-a-month meeting where um, they either are gonna where they're gonna talk about racism in some way. So I think the first meeting was anybody who wanted to get up and share an experience about racism um could do that. And so they had, you know, I think Rashad was the first guy up and he shared a couple of stories. And one of them was about how he dated um a white girl in high school and her parents didn't agree with her dating a black guy. And so like they had to hide it and how like messed up that was, but at the time he didn't realize. And so, you know, he shared some personal stories and there was white players and there was coaches and all these people kind of shared different things of what they experienced. And then I think from previous or for the preceding meetings, they're going to, um, they're going to have like lecturers or kind of guest speakers come in and talk about racism or the history of racism or like, you know, different things that maybe you didn't learn in school that have contributed to like how systemic racism has, uh, you know, happened over time in this country. So it, I think that's really interesting. And then something that, you know, I would love to be a fly on the wall for one of those, because um, that they're, that's their big thing is that education is how you end racism. And this generation of the kind of Gen Z people, um, you know, they're a crew that, asks why and they you know they want to understand what's going on and and you know this could be a generation that if they get the proper education and the proper tools could actually help end you know something that's going on in our country for a long time so that's kind of their philosophy behind it which I think is really cool um and then I just think it depends like you know what are they going to do other times in the season I know they've got different kind of decals on their helmet and stuff and you know we'll see at different home games if they do any more kind of you know, proactive show. But yeah, I think that they've, they've tried really hard to to bring some action behind their words. And I think they're doing a pretty good job so far.
0: Bateman is really interesting to me because he's a guy, you know, he's a day one or day two NFL pick. He's one of the best receivers in the nation. You wrote a really incredible piece about how much he's changed, not only as a player, but as a person. I mean, he's a guy who opted out for the season initially because of COVID-19 and then came back there's a lot going on with this guy outside of him as a football player. You wrote a really, really incredible story about his change. What did you see and what have you learned about him and his evolution from doing that story?
2: Yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy. Rashad is, Um, you know, that story is funny that you mentioned because I had so many more grand plans for it, but this is inside baseball. Nobody cares about journalism. Like, (laughs) I, every, every season we pick like one big off season feature to do that we invest like a lot of time and resources in. So last year it was Tyler Johnson, which was easier to do because he's just from North Minneapolis, but I went to North Minneapolis with him and I spent a lot of time there and then wrote this, you know, story about him. Um, that was one of my favorite stories I've ever done. And then for Rashad this year in March, I I talked to the team about doing a story on him. And I was going to go to Georgia with him. And you know, then I was going to go, I like, cause I know Georgia is obviously where he's from, but then I know that Minnesota is a place that he loves too. So I was going to spend some time in Georgia with him and then some time in his favorite places in, in Minneapolis or in Minnesota with him and then like do this story. And then obviously COVID happened. And then right. none of that really happened. And then we were going to do some kind of FaceTime situation where I was going to walk around Minnesota and he was going to like narrate to me, but then he opted out so that I was like, Hey, never mind. Uh, but then he opted back in and I was like, oh, it's back on, but there was limited time. So it was anyways, that all of that is kind of a, (laughs) that's kind of a tangent. Um, but I was, I, I think I was still proud of what the story was able to, uh, to illustrate, even if on a scale down level from what I really wanted to do. Um, because it does show that he's, you know, he's somebody that was looking for a place and, and looking for somewhere that he felt comfortable. And that wasn't necessarily where he's from. Um, And I think a lot of people maybe consider like, oh, well, it's home. That must be where like you love. But there are a lot of people that don't, you know, where they're from or where they're born is not, you know, the place that they're meant to be. And so I think when he ended up here, it's like a place where he really found himself, Um, not only from the standpoint of, you know, being more comfortable with his with his own race, which I think in, in Georgia, he felt like he had to kind of look white or act white or hide his tattoos or things like that. And then when he came to Minneapolis, which is a little bit more urban, obviously than his, his town in Georgia, you know, he saw things like interracial relationships and he saw his teammates be comfortable dressing how they want to dress. And I think that kind of helped him find himself in that way. Um, but then it also brought in this knowledge that he, he realizes that not everybody feels like that because he didn't always feel like that. And so how can he help everybody feel this kind of comfort and peace, um, no matter where they are. So uh, he is a really interesting, he's a really interesting guy. Um, And he's kind of a hard, like, I don't know. He's, he's kind of a hard nut to crack because he's so, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes he is so open and sometimes he's not. And it's just very interesting. Like what day you're going to get him? Cause sometimes he's just like, you know, your regular college football player who doesn't really say a lot and, you know, whatever. And then sometimes you get him like, like, you know, I talked to him when he first opted back in. And I just, I think the question I asked him was like, oh, so, you know, when you were opting out, why did, why did you decide to opt out? And he was like, oh yeah, well, you know, most people don't know I had COVID. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so like then i will drop kind of bombs like that on you. So he's, he's, he's very interesting. Cause I think he's very like introspective and he, he has a lot of things to say. And I think he knows, when he wants to say them um which is kind of fascinating that he he has that kind of judgment or timing to know like when is the right time or who are the right people to hear this and stuff so um he is a really interesting guy and he has uh he has two cats that's a fun fact for everyone he and his girlfriend his girlfriend has one cat and then he wasn't a cat person but then fell in love with the one cat so then he adopted his own cat and they're named uh tupac Shakur, and i think <laughs> <Holy Rock? laughs> So they're, that's great. they're that's great. but that's, that's your little fun fact about Rashad Bateman.
0: It's a great story. Everyone should go check it out and all of your work at the Minnesota Star Tribune. Where can they find you on Twitter?
2: Um, You can find me at the other Meg Ryan, which uh, for young people, I hope you still know who Meg Ryan is, but she was a very famous actress in the nineties, which is my, I, I feel era. like I know who it is. Was she in top? Oh my Park? gosh. Sleepless in Seattle.
0: Okay. All right. I've heard of that movie.
2: Oh, my God. She's in a lot of iconic ones. But anyways, it's it's a play off that and it's my brand. You can find me on basically every social media under that.
0: All right. You can find me at Byvroon Shunker. Thank you so much, Ms. Ryan. Thank you for everyone else. We'll be back with another episode recapping Friday's game against Minnesota sometime this weekend. Until then, this is the Hail Maryland podcast.